Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew and I'm your host and joining me today is Simon. Uh, we are back after two weeks of not recording for various life-related reasons. Um, yeah. We're back and we're going to talk about some movies. Um, so how are you, Simon? How are things? How, how have you been for the last three it's, weeks? I just, it's <laughs> just so busy. Just so busy. Uh, just stuff at all times. Uh, that my, my kids are old, a little bit older now, which makes them easier in many, many ways. But suddenly it means that your time is filled with them just doing stuff all the time and because they're children they need you to help them do stuff my uh, my son uh, plays football what you might call soccer because you're weird you not you personally you as in north america um he had a soccer game started yesterday at eight in the morning which means you have to be there at seven thirty. so just there's no such thing as, as weekend lions anymore and they're currently at chess club and then they're going to cooking and then there's that so it's just busy every, and we're trying to find a high school for my uh, my older kid, my son. We're trying to give him some high school options, so we've been going to different schools every night and learning about different programs and blah 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 blah. So just really fucking busy. But last weekend, I took them to the Vancouver Toy and Comic Show at the Peony, the Forum, and uh, I did my best to make you spend money by sending you pictures of things that I know you want for ridiculously good prices. Yeah, and, uh, it, was, it was it was amazing. Do you remember the first couple of years of Fan Expo when we spent the whole three days just walking around, speaking to all the cool exhibitors, looking at all their cool stuff, like a million miles away from what Fan Expo is now? Mm-hmm. It was basically, it was basically that, and it was eighteen dollars to get in, and everyone was super cool. It was that the forum is like these two large interconnected halls. And just stores and stores. And I thought it would be like really old, like flea market toys, like uh, metal robots and old Tonka toys and that's that and the other. It was just Star Wars and Pokemon, Star Trek and really good stuff. Lots of video games too. And it was amazing. And and the vibes are immaculate. And there was a guy there that you probably recognize, but um, he hasn't been at Fan Expo for a while. And uh, I asked him, he said they started charging $800 for a table. And said, I can't afford $800 for a table. I'm not making that kind of money. So that's why we're not seeing that kind of, uh, those kind of stores anymore because finance may got greedy. Yeah. I, I, killed it. I cannot speak about it, but I used to run booths at fan expo for a big company here in Western Canada. And I can tell you that it was not cheap and that even though, we would do tens of thousand dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in gross sales at those booths. We would never cover our costs ever. Yeah. So, like it was, Crazy. we had the advantage of it just being basically a marketing exercise. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, we would never. We could just never. Even if it covered our costs <clears throat> of the booths, like the amount of money, the amount of profit mm-hmm. we could make at that show, if it covered the cost of the booths, it still wouldn't have covered the cost of the payroll to run the booth. So yeah, it was a, uh, it's a whole thing. So they've got another one in April. So I really recommend you save some money and clear some space and go and buy some nostalgia bait. <laughs> yeah. Because it was, it's all beautiful. It was immaculate. But um, that, apart from that, just work. I got my got my vaccines this week, so I'm feeling a little under the weather, but it sure is a shit better than getting COVID. So um, Yeah, I just, I just booked my 
fifth, fifth or sixth booster shot. I think I'm one ahead because of That's my wife working in healthcare. But like, yeah, I'm not looking forward. Right. Last time I got both at the same time, which is exactly the right call, but it knocked me on my butt mm-hmm. for a day and a half. Yeah. In uh, in a way that the previous boosters did not. Yeah. I mean, for my That's part, good. I've just been working these last three weeks, which is why part of the reason why we didn't record. Um, because it's a weird problem to have, but I've been kind of swamped with work. And uh, as a freelancer, you got to hassle. And I both love and hate that. I don't know. You're hacking, you're hacking the planet. and being Something planet. like that. Something like that. Currently helping build an app that I have uh, that helps people get better results out of AI, which is interesting in a way that I feel mixed about. But it um, it certainly taught me a lot about how AI works, which is the, or I should say, I actually don't really like calling it AI, but how large language models work. Uh, it's interesting how you can ask them things in ways to get better results, and uh, I find that I find it interesting at least. I have an assumption about coding. I'd like me. I'd like to tell you it, and I'd like to tell me if I'm correct or not. That it feels mm-hmm. to me like coding. This is a thing that basically got invented in the '80s and developed from the '80s to the '90s, and. and and your, your coding day, all, all of the things you do today are built on the structures invented like decades and decades ago. And you, because everyone's using it now, it's too late to kind of fix it. So everyone's kind of like gaffer taping on top of it. And all these coding structures are like balancing on the initial work that was done decades ago that could now be done much, much better if everyone just reset and restarted. But you can't. Is that at all true? I mean, it's not not true. Uh, the, f- the first thing I would say though, is that like, you're starting way too late. Like coding has been happening since the sixties, fifties and sixties. All right. Uh, you got, you got to remember that like the, the rocket ships they sent to the moon had computers on them. Oh yeah. So when I, yeah, right? when you talk about coding, the, the little sheets of paper with the punches out, that was coding as well, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, it's interesting. There's. I don't want to get into too deep of a discussion about it, but when you think about the way a computer works, there's basically like several layers between um, what the computer needs to hear and what a human is needs to see. Um, and the most basic level of that is literally just ones and zeros. And the highest level of that as a programmer is you saying, computer, do the thing. Um, but there's actually several layers in between those two it doesn't just translate from do the thing to ones and zeros. It goes from do the thing to the next layer, which says to accomplish this one thing, do these three things. And then it goes down to the next layer. It says these three things require these nine things. And eventually you get all the way down to ones and zeros. That's a gross oversimplification for anyone who knows what they're talking <laughs> about, who's listening. But the point is that like there are there's levels of, of abstraction that come into play. And, yet, and then also, yes, like the way we the way data structures work is kind of archaic and uh we're definitely things change so fast and part of that is that people are constantly trying to improve uh the way that programming works and another part of that is simply that like you you know that xkcd comic where it's like there's 12 standards that's ridiculous let's (laughs) unify them and then the next result is that there are 13 standards that is also definitely a thing (laughs) but like yeah i mean the main language i code in is javascript and it has all kinds of weird idiosyncrasies. And part of that is just a relic of the way programming works. And part of it is that JavaScript was invented in a weekend. So who, who could say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Was it really? Yeah. A weekend or a week. It was like a hackathon or something. I can't remember exactly the story, what? but it was it was created very quickly and a long time ago, and it has persisted because it's very versatile, um, but also super weird. Wow. So, and that's the reason why, like, had... you have languages like TypeScript, which are a superset of JavaScript designed to fix some of the problems with JavaScript, but some of the problems can't be that easily solved. So, it's a whole thing, you know. There, there were twelve standards, and now there's thirteen. <laughs> well, I hope they're making a lot of money. Those people that invented it in the weekend, probably, probably. Well, yeah. should we talk about some films then? We probably we should. I mean, before we up. do. Before we do, I mean, I don't want to starting on a bit of a somber note, but yesterday we learned that Matthew Perry has passed away. Um, and I don't know about you, but that one's hitting me very, very hard. I, I didn't think that it would, but as someone who grew up in the 90s watching Friends and who basically learned how to be sarcastic from Matthew Perry, <laughs> from Chan- from Chandler Bing, yeah. Um, it's and hearing that he died like in a hot tub and apparently drowned and it's hard not to imagine there's some kind of substance involved because that's has been his lifelong mm. issue like i'm i don't know I, it's it's always weird when famous people pass away and the ones that hit you and the ones that don't but uh, i just wanted to say that uh, this one hit me pretty hard and i hope that he has found some peace and uh finally yeah it was it was tough seeing him in the recent friends get together like the, the just the look in his eyes he's just been through the ringer like as i said yesterday he found the high life and they just ate him up from the inside out and uh, yeah he's at least he's he can be peaceful and sarcastic to his heart's content now. yeah anyway well that's uh that's very sad and uh a bit of a bummer so but uh yes. yeah Apparently, also Richard Mole died yesterday. Who, for those of you who don't know, was the bailiff on Night Court and also the voice of Harvey Dent on Batman the Animated Series. And that's also sad, but it was completely overshadowed by Matthew Barry dying. I, so <clears throat> it's a whole a whole thing. Anyway, uh, well, before we launch, it's, uh, sorry, it's weird that it's like. When you're young and people die, they're always older, much, much older. Like, famous people when they die. And as you get older, the people that... Like, he's squarely in our generation. He's a tiny bit older than us, but... He was 54, which is way too young. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we we move on to the show, let's just get the housekeeping part out of the way. Um, If you're back listening to us, we're so happy to hear that you're here. We hope you enjoy it. Um, If you aren't already, you can, of course, support us by uh, giving us a like or a subscribe or a review on your podcasting platform of choice. But we do also have a Patreon. Uh, You can find it in the show notes, but it's patreon.com slash mcsimpson. Uh, Every week that we record, we also record a bonus episode. This week we talked about... uh, Movies we love, things we love, we didn't expect to, um, and also we recast some films with Brad Pitt, which was an, inter- <laughs> an interesting exercise. Um, so you can go listen to that. The lowest tier of uh, point of entry is two dollars Canadian a month, which is basically nothing. And uh, if you would love to, if you would support us, we would love you to do so. Um, 
And basically, if you like the way we chat about movies here, you'll like the way we chat about movies there. So <laughs> do with that what you will. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about three movies. So let's, guys, we're going to be catching up from our time off and also from some, uh, at least one title that we missed from the summer. So let's do that now. Uh, so, Simon, uh, why don't you give us the lowdown on the film Bottoms, which came out in the summer? Oh, okay. Um, basically, two lifelong uh, schoolgirl or co- college girl, you know, high school, or whatever the age is, high school, high school. So does that mean them? Coll- oh no, college for you is university, right? So two high school girls in their last year, are best friends, lesbians, and uh, completely almost friendless, um, decide that this is their last chance. That they've grown into themselves. It basically opens with a discussion on now they're hot, now it's time to. Uh, break break their um, uh, lesbian virginity and uh, to get out there and to uh, finally do something about the crushes they both have or these the, the various girls in their year and uh, up against this the the the, the jocks are their nemesis uh, mainly the uh, main jock uh, a guy called Jeff who is the jockiest of all jocks who is kind of delightful and how jockey he is. Um, and they have an altercation with him that leads them hop, skip and a jump. And if you've seen this in a trailer, it's not a spoiler uh, to spontaneously create a girl uh, self-defense club, uh, which they quickly refer to as their girl fight club to um, basically get them close to the girls that they want to have lesbian sex with. And, um, <laughs> They, it's one of those great movies where they decide something very, very quickly and then have to keep these two girls who have brilliant chemistry, uh, have to keep um, uh, lying and keep building in order to to make it seem like it's a legitimate thing. And um, I don't really want to talk much more about the movie because one of the best things of this movie is how brilliantly sparky the script is and how surprising the it, it the surprising way that it unfolds it it's one of those films where you you do i mean within the first 20 minutes you know how it's going to end you know how this movie's going to go but how it gets there is so damn funny and so damn good that um i just had the biggest fucking grin on my face for the whole movie because it is so uh smart and it's written so so well and i absolutely loved the two uh, actresses, uh, Rachel Sennett, who we saw um, recently in another film, who I think is is really really great, and uh, I'm looking for the other actor's name. Her name is uh, Ayo Edbiri. Thank you very much. She's not in my cast list, weirdly, um, and they uh, they have this dynamic um, connection. And they bounce off each other, and the 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 scripting is that very kind of awkward but funny balance, which I really really love. And it's got a fantastic supporting cast, and it's got a great conclusion. There's really only one thing about this movie that I thought could have been better, and the rest I thought it was just one of my favorite movies of the year. I thought it was exceptional. And Wait, what's the what's it, the what's the one thing? Um, so they're in a fight club. Or is it a spoiler? Uh, there's, there's, there's some choreographed fighting 
there's some fight choreography that could have been better. And yeah. when when your movie's about being in a fight club and you're building towards that, um, I would have liked to have seen. I mean, they're not. They're very clearly not professional stage fighters. I, I wish there'd been someone on set to help them throw a, a more believable punch and kick, like just with the physicality. Mm. Uh, but but I I studied fight choreo for a long time, and I and it's always been one of the things that is a bit of a stickler for me, unfortunately. But mm. literally, this is that only part of this film that wasn't like five out of five gangbusters for me. I just loved it, and I thought it um, unlike maybe the earlier parts of Joyride, which I thought didn't, the, 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 the jokes didn't quite land in the first third of Joyride, although the, the rest of that movie is, is fantastic. I thought from the beginning, just the delivery, the scripting, and I just love the chemistry between the two leads and the supporting characters. I thought it was just brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the, the, the vibes of this movie are immaculate. Um, mm. The uh, chemistry between Senate and Edbiri, uh is amazing. I know they've done at least one short film together as well, so mm-hmm. it's not their first time working together. Um, but they they both seem to operate on this same sort of level in terms of like the rapid fire, sincere snark would be the way I might put it. Like they're very snarky, but they're very hard on their sleeve. Um, and when it comes time for them to have their inevitable conflict, it's entirely believable. Like you believe that these people have been friends for their entire lives. Um, this is a very minor thing to say, I think, but it's also to me very critical that even though these women are older, they also uh, they look the part to be seniors in high school. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like they are playing eighteen. They're twenty-eight year olds playing eighteen-year-olds, and that can be a thing. And uh, it's not in this film. They look like they belong where they are. And uh, I think you're, I think you're right that like definitely, the fight choreo is a bit basic, might be the word. But also, they start a fight club by saying they know how to fight because they went to prison, but they've never been to prison and never been in a fight. So the the part of the fight choreo being kind of lame kind of fits in the movie for me. Um, <laughs> Because when they do get to the point where they there is a big fight at the end, which is amazing to be clear, mm-hmm. um, it sort of makes sense that it's a lot it's a lot more martial than art would be the way I might put it, and it uh, and it really works. But yeah, I mean this movie is just funny. It's funny from start to finish, um, and Rachel Sennett, I think has really cemented herself in this last year as sort of one of and. Io, Ao, Io, Edibiri as well. They both submitted themselves as like young hot talents to watch. Edibiri being in uh, the Bear and across the across the Spider Verse, uh, and Rachel Sennett being in the Idol for better or for worse, um, and also it. also a movie that I watched at uh, the film festival, one of the film festivals. Uh, the name of which suddenly goes out of my brain. Um, what was it called? Uh, I used to be funny. She was in a movie called I used to be funny, which I thought was quite oh, yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if any, if any of these things does it deserve to make either of them a star, it's all of them. But this one is a solid entry in the, like their origin story as superstars, as super versatile superstars. Yeah. And I'm glad that we got to see it. 
uh, at all. I'm glad it exists. It also like, you know, it's a it's a coming of age story. It's very it's obviously very queer friendly, um, very targeted at this new generation of kids. And mm-hmm. I think it's important that they have movies like this. And mm-hmm. I can't I can't wait to see what all everyone involved in this does next. I I haven't seen Shiva Baby, which is the director Emma Seligman's previous film that Rachel Sennett also starred in, but it's supposed to be amazing. Um, It's been on my watch list for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, again, like I can't wait to see what all of them do. Uh, Because I think in addition to being amazing performers, like Rachel Sennett helped write this one. Um, And I think that uh, it shows a real talent for dialogue uh, and for dialogue and story. Because all of the dialogue again is totally, totally believable, and uh, it's also it's so quotable, and it's also very interesting in that like it would be so easy for the dialogue to be very like hyper specific in a way that older people might not get it, but it's not that it manages to be both very specific and very broad at the same time, and that's a very difficult needle to thread. Yeah, it really is. It's, so. I, it's one of those movies that makes me wish that I was able to remember funny lines to, uh, to regurgitate <laughs> them. There's so many lines in this movie. I, at one point, I almost started writing down the good lines, but I gave up because there's just they just keep coming. Yeah. And, they're, they're, and it's the kind of... Sometimes American comedies can can highlight their jokes with like neon signs. Do you know what I mean? They're saying this is the joke and like they put too much emphasis on this being the joke. And it's just not funny. And this is the kind of humor I love where it's just throwaway line. And they're all bangers. And they're all delivered with such sincerity and so much awkwardness. There's so much awkwardness. And they're, they're both so good at being awkward as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's 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 going to be one of those films that I watch many, many times just as an effort to try and get those lines in my head so I can enjoy them whenever I want and inflict them on others in social situations. It's also worth noting that um, I don't know who uh, who needs to hear this, but uh, if you're not on Letterboxd, you should be on Letterboxd because Aoeda Beery is on Letterboxd and her reviews are fucking perfect. Oh, really? <laughs> when she posts notes about films, they are they are excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's she's not just funny in the show; she's very very talented and mm-hmm. funny in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, so how many stars, how many stars for you on this one? Uh, four stars. Yeah, four. Yeah, for me it's a four as well. Uh, it's a. Uh, I think it'll be on a lot of year end best of lists, and it might even make it on mine. But yeah, it's a four star movie. It's for me. It's probably my favorite movie of the year so far. I'd have to clarify that by looking at stuff because I can't remember what I've seen. But um, it's so close to a five. If only there's, there's before the big fight at the end, there's kind of one mini fight with a lot of brutality, like a lot of like, if you excuse the analogy, a lot of punch, like the punches look like they're being punched, like people look like they're getting hit. And uh, if only that, that amazing fight had been just tightened up a bit. So it looks like people are actually getting hit then it would might have been a five that might have tipped it for me, but it's, it's a minor thing. It's a great film. Yeah. Highly recommended. 
That is totally fair. Yes. Uh, but let's move on because we're okay. burning, burning time here. So yeah, uh, next. next up, we're going to catch up on a, on a Netflix release. Uh, so I first saw this film at Sundance this year. Um, and it came out on Netflix uh, in the beginning of October. Um, but we're going to talk very quickly about the movie Fair Play, uh, which I'm going to say right now you should definitely watch. <laughs> um, this is the, I believe, directorial debut of Chloe Dumont, uh, and it's about two young people played by uh, Phoebe, well, young people, but two people, uh, one played by Phoebe Dynavor of Bridgerton fame, and one played by Alden Ehrenreich of, I mean, most recently of Oppenheimer and Cocaine Bear, but also, obviously, he was young Han Solo, and they play financial analysts in a private uh, hedge fund firm, financial firm of some kind on in New York, and they are having a secret affair because their co-workers, it's a secret and right at the beginning of the film, someone gets someone above them gets fired, and she overhears that he might be in line to get the, his that job. And the next day, they find out that she has gotten it. And the rest of the movie is them dealing with the fallout of that choice. And to be clear, it's not because she's bad; it's because he is mediocre. Um. I, I don't really want to say too much more about the plot and how it plays out and where it goes um, because I think it's an important movie in, in that way uh, and I think it's going to be instructive. I think there's, like, basically, if you ever see a dude talking about this movie and talking about what a bitch she is, then that should be a major red flag for you about <laughs> that person. Like, that person did not get what this movie's trying to tell them. Yeah. And uh, I've already seen at least one of those on social media. It's just mind-boggling. Um, but it's so interesting, and it feels so true, watching this thriller play out where the, the problem is that he's mediocre um, and doesn't seem to get it. He, uh, like many privileged dudes, he kind of expects to be elevated just because of who he is and where he is. Um even though, and he doesn't even really get it, he doesn't really seem to understand that he's bad at his job for most of it. Even when he's making, you know, big decisions that cost money, he's he's constantly talking about how good he is. And her being promoted over him ends up being this major crisis of identity and confidence for him in a way that feels very true uh, and very believable. But I think what ultimately what sells the movie, I think... I, I do love this movie, but there's there's one thing I think is great about it. Well, two things I think are great about it, and one thing I would like to say is my sort of like complaint. One is that I, I do think the script is a little bit uneven. I think that there are some scenes that are amazing, and there's some scenes where I'm like, okay, you could have done a second pass on this particular interaction. Um, not the plots, not how things happen, or where they happen, or why they happen, but just the things they're saying be a little bit drafty we'll say um but that being said uh phoebe dynavore and alden ehrenreich in a uh basically an erotic thriller together is a hell of a combo they are both mm -hmm. phenomenal in this i have never watched bridgerton i don't think i've ever i don't think at the time i saw this the first time i don't think i'd ever seen phoebe dynavore in anything and she just blew me away like entirely she is so perfect as this woman dealing with this mediocre man and Aaron Reich sells his part of it 
so beautifully. It would be so easy for him to be... Um, this is not the best explanation, but it would be so easy for his character to be competently malicious, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Where instead he's just... He lashes out because he's mediocre and he doesn't understand that. And it very much comes through in his performance. And that is also, just to reuse a turn of phrase, that's also a difficult needle to thread. Like, that is a thing that's hard to sell in a performance. Like, uh, and it would be so easy for it to be either flat or too much in one way or the other. But he is, his performance is basically perfectly balanced in this, like, childlike, naive. I don't understand why I'm lashing out, but I'm lashing out kind of way. Um, and every, every scene they have together, um, but in particular, the, I would say the the earliest scenes they have together and the there's one scene in the middle, but then the very last scene they have together are, are incredible. And uh, I'm glad this movie's out. It, it was one of my favorite movies I saw at the Sundance Film Festival, and it has a fair chance of making my best of the year list. Um and uh, I'm glad more people. I'm glad it's out in front of eyeballs. I'm sure that Netflix has buried it by now, so you'll need to search for it. But it's out there, and you should definitely watch it. Is my short review. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I, I don't really disagree with anything you're saying. Um, they're both fantastic. Um, they, I would be very interested to learn about the casting process because um, it used to be quite a common thing to do a chemistry read between a male female. Um, erotic thrillers in the 90s and 80s and um, I know that went out of fashion a bit with casting and, and I would like to know the process of them being cast because they they are fantastic together and they have an amazing chemistry and the story is an evolution of their relationship and um, it, it asks a lot for them to sort of lead that character through that evolution and against the other person who is kind of switching in their allegiance as we go through and they handle it really really well um the earlier scenes are 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 really magnificent as well i don't think i liked it as much as you i think there's a couple of things that i didn't really like um i think the final scene uh actually let me backtrack a little bit so what i would have liked is for the script to have a bit more time with uh, Emma Wright's character thinking he's fine with her promotion, thinking like trying to be quote unquote supportive. His whole deal is that he he d- thinks he deserves to be successful because mm-hmm. he he thinks he's good enough, and he's he's actually as we learned he's not. He's just he's blind to how mediocre he is, uh, and there are elements in the story that you find out to support that. And uh, th- that, uh, it seems for me, it goes quite quickly when she gets the promotion. It goes quite quickly to him, like, looks in his face, showing that he's not happy about this, this shift in balance. And I would have I enjoyed a slightly slower descent where he thinks he's deserving, but he's actually not getting what he thinks he deserves. You know, that entitlement, that I'm a good guy entitlement, that just is so sickening. I think they could have played on that a bit more because there's a moment later on where he, he, he snaps and says like, he, he, all of his advice is good. Like she only got there because of his advice and he's taking credit for her aims. And I think to see that reflected earlier on 
instead of going straight to I'm I'm not comfortable with this. I I think that would have been a slightly like more mature, better storytelling. But um, I also think there's a moment towards the end that I don't want to spoil that I think really uh, betrays uh, what's her character's name? Phoebe's name. Phoebe. I can't say her last name, so I'm just going to call it Emily. She's called Emily. The 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 kind of place she's she's worked towards, and the, there's a moment where um, uh, she gives in to an urge, even though she has clearly said she's not interested in that urge. And I feel that's the one moment of the script that didn't feel authentic to me, and kind of betrayed her strength as a woman, uh, having agency. Um, through this promotion and 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 her her increased wage and increased power and increased responsibilities really shining a light on how insecure this guy she's been with for ages was was really just a very fragile shell who was willing to actually destroy her career rather than see her win and there's a moment where they're having it out and she she you know the bit I mean, right? Where she yeah, she I'm not 100. I'm not 100 clear, but you're talking about that scene toward the end in the in the bathroom, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. She says one thing and another thing happens, and I was thinking that's she, like she has spent a large majority of this movie like asserting herself and asserting that she actually has agency, and that felt uncomfortable to me. But it it, it is used. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that it that event is then used as a catalyst for the final scene. So I understand why it got to that point. But then when we get to the final scene, I I would have liked to have seen a bit more um, threat without, um, without spoiling anything. Uh, I felt like the last scene was a bit weak for me. It didn't, it didn't have the, the, uh, the punch that I really felt it was perhaps building up to. Um, so, but a lot of this movie is very successful. Um, I think the first half is stronger than the second. Um, there's some standout performances, uh, particularly not just the two leads, but um, Eddie Marson. Who Eddie Marson, yeah, he's to, so good. So, so used to seeing him as this bumbling, mild-mannered Englishman in a lot of um, Edgar Wright movies and a lot of UK movies. And he in this, he is a super fucking, like, dry, cynical, cutthroat finance boss. And he is so, so good in this film. Like, it, it, it's a standout performance for me. Absolutely. I've never seen him play anything like this. And he was incredible, I think. So, yeah, Eddie Marsan is a very versatile actor, and I think... Honestly, if you've, if you've never seen him play characters like this, I would say that uh, definitely seek out more of his filmography because I have never seen him in anything, even when that thing is bad, that I didn't think he was good in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great example of that happening on TV right now. There's a um, there's a TV show out called The Winter King, uh, which is, I believe, it's an adaptation of Arthurian legend or something, and I don't think it's very good, but he plays a king in it, and he's so good in it. Uh, it's not even really fair. Um, I'm going to say that I, I get what you're saying about those last two scenes, and I, I sort of disagree 
with your assessment of the first of the two, the one in the bathroom where mm -hmm. she gives in because as a person who's been in relationships that were both successful and unsuccessful for various reasons, I will say that sex happens when emotions are heightened and that scene is incredibly emotionally heightened. Mm -hmm. um, so it did not feel inauthentic to me that they would sort of both give in because they're both their enemies at that point. And they, it's mm -hmm. basically not to spoil it, but it becomes a bit of a hate fuck. And that is a thing that happens. So it doesn't, mm. it, where it goes is a little darker than that. Um, but the way mm. it starts, the way it starts and ends does not feel inauthentic to me at all. Um, regarding the last scene, yeah, I sort of get what you're saying. Um, I think that the last scene building towards like the last line of the movie makes sense, but it could have had a little more maybe oomph to the scene. But I don't think that's not yeah. a really, not really a complaint for me. I think, it, I, th I still think it's successful is all I'm trying to say. Mm. So how many, how many, I'm going to give this one yeah. like what I gave it when I first saw it. I'm going to give it four stars. Um, where are you landing with it? Three, three stars for me. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's worth watching if only because the acting is so good. Like the performances are excellent. Yeah. 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 Like, I, like all around. That, that, that would, that's why I bumped it from a two to a three. The performances are exceptional. And uh, I think we don't really talk about it. He's not really a huge part of it, but I think that Rich uh, Rich Sumner, who's another supporting character, he's like mm -hmm. the second guy in charge under Eddie Marsan in the firm. Um, oh, yeah. He, uh, whenever he shows up and stuff, I'm like, oh, it's that guy. And uh, he same thing in Blackberry earlier this year. He showed up and I'm like, oh, it's that guy. He's always kind of good. He's one of those guys that shows up and you're like, oh, this is going to be at least interesting. You know, like he mm -hmm. fits... He seems to be really good at picking his roles. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is another good example of that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, uh, well, let's see here. What else? Um, that's all I got. Yeah. Four stars for me, three yeah. stars for you. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, let's move on. So. We have another another movie to talk about this week, and we're going to talk about it now. It is another ne uh, Netflix release, and it is a uh, what would you call this? A prestige comedy drama starring Emily Blunt and uh, Chris Evans I, called I, I, called I Pain Hustlers. I, I wouldn't say comedy. <laughs> it's a, well, I'm it's a, I'm I'm describing it based on its intent. <laughs> it's it's, a true, um, it's another true true story farmer tale. And if you feel like you've seen that movie, yes, you have. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's the story Emily Blunt plays like a down and out, down on her luck woman who's working as a stripper. And she gets recruited to be a salesperson for a pharma company that's failing. And through her inventiveness and stick to the company turns around and makes a shit ton of money by selling a painkiller. And, uh, then it turns out as soon as they stop making, as soon as they stop seeing any amount of growth with their product, they turn to illegal methods to boost their sales. You've definitely seen this movie before. Um, I don't like, it's not good. That's, <laughs> this is, this is my review. It's not good. Um, I think that Emily Blunt has a few really good scenes in it. I think that Chris Evans playing is going for that like against type thing he tried he did with knives out very successfully not very successfully 
I don't think he's bad exactly. I just don't believe him as the sleaze ball that he has to be for this movie. Um, I think I I I thought that. Um, uh, wow, my brain just stopped working. Um, Andy, Andy and, Garcia. Andy Garcia was super interesting as the crotchety old billionaire who's bankrolling the whole operation. Um, but ultimately, this film. And I also, I will just say too, I think it's great that David Yates isn't doing Harry Potter shit anymore. I think that's a net positive. <laughs> Is he a Harry Potter director? Oh, he's directed like, he, uh, David Yates directed like the last three Harry Potters and all of the Fantastic uh, Beast movies. So I think it's great he's escaped. I think it's great he's escaped from that. Um, mm-hmm. But the movie's not very good. It's just not. it. My... My immediate thought when I watched it was like, oh, this wants to be like the big short or the Wolf of Wall Street. But mm-hmm. the execution the execution is like the store brand version of that. You know? Not as good. <laughs> A little bit dilute. Flavors aren't there. Textures wrong. Um, it's just it's just the knockoff version of those things. And that would be fine. That would almost be fine if it wasn't treating the deaths of thousands and thousands of people so glibly, because this movie is about the opioid crisis. It's about the prescription opioid crisis, and it does not do near enough with the bad guys getting the consequences of their actions. Like I was saying this when we watched it, I watched it with my wife last night and I was saying my my personal contention is if you watch The Wolf of Wall Street and you come away from that film thinking that Jordan Belfort was made to be the good guy, then you just didn't watch the last hour of the movie and you didn't understand it personally. And But this movie is that. This movie does not do enough. It makes her, her and Chris Evans, it does a better job of making it clear that he's a bad guy because he's the one that does the illegal shit, but it holds, it, it does not do enough for anyone else in terms of like, giving them the consequences of their action actions and unlike the wolf of wall street or the big short it also doesn't really indict anyone for the problem like the wolf of wall street indicts the audience for enjoying the shit that Gordon Belfort does and the big short indicts an entire industry f- for fucking up the world economy and this movie just says this happened this happened and people died and then it ends <laughs> It it has no depth and and no and very little nuance and it makes me angry just thinking about it now. So I did I did not like it. How did you feel about it? I was so bored by this movie, dude. Oh my god, I I did not like this film. Uh, I really like Emily Blunt generally, uh, but uh, she was fine. I, I I may have a controversial statement. That I want to run it by you. Mm-hmm. Based on his recent movies, maybe Chris Evans isn't that great as an actor. Like, there's some things he can do really, really well. Uh, being Captain America is one of them. Knives Out is another one of them. But between this and that god awful thing with Anna Darmus, uh, he he was not good in this film. He was not convincing. And like you hit the nail exactly on the head. Not convincing at all in this film. And. Uh, the the tone of the whole thing was just weird. It was oh, so, it's a it's a weird it mishmash. So, it was so light. 
there's, there's people with their teeth falling out because they surprise, surprise develop fentanyl like addictions and uh, it does horrific things to your body and people die and and it's just it, it almost completely glosses over that for another shot of Emily Blunt in a power suit like yeah I, and, then, and then it ends this super upbeat ending <laughs> like okay it's like we went to jail and one when, when they're out of jail they have this happy ending they've learned something today just like we all know it's just a really bad movie and it's it's yeah. not scripted particularly well it's not shot particularly well it's not acted particularly well it's super weird tonally i know it's based on a true story but it feels like completely like sterilized in order to become this quote-unquote netflix content it's just <clears throat> it's just a nothing it's a nothing and the only high point of this film was uh, andy garcia i love andy garcia I just love his acting style. He's so muted and he's so um, uh, what's the word? understated, and he always has been. And I think he's brilliant. brilliant I do, actor, and I think, and I think he's great in this. I do love that his character, like the the literal in universe description of his character, is that once they get rich, he gets weird, and and like he plays all that really, really well. I do think he's probably the high point of the oh, yeah. film and especially in the latter half in the latter half it's really made clear that he's exerting control over emily blunt's character even though she's the one that mm -hmm. got him to this lofty place he's in um and i think that 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 is played in a really interesting and sinister way um i don't think emily blunt is bad uh, but yeah i just don't think so i don't know i don't know if i agree with the idea that chris evans is not a good actor I might counter with that he doesn't either doesn't have a good agent or doesn't make good choices. Cause I think mm -hmm. it's about like picking your roles, right? Like I think, I think that maybe he should look at a type of script and be like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> and I feel like right. he, and maybe, right. and maybe it's a, an artifact of playing captain America for so long, but I feel like he's been saying yes to a lot of things that are purposefully different and maybe, and this is all just conjecture on my part, obviously. I don't know this person or anyone even in his sphere of influence. But maybe he's saying yes a little too quick. You know, like maybe he's choosing things that are purposefully different, which I think is a good exercise, maybe, um, as long as they're still right for you. And I just don't feel like this was right for him. But uh, because he said yes, we did get a Mirror Universe Captain America Black Widow movie because Emily Blunt uh, was almost Black Widow, but she had to turn it down so she could do something like Jungle Cruise, although that feels like the time's wrong. There's another movie she was connected to that she couldn't get out of. So she was almost Black Widow. So this is this is the... that's These are the things going through my head when I'm trying to watch this film, trying to like forget it even exists. Uh, I don't know. The daughter's good. What's her name? You, you told me uh. earlier. Chloe Coleman is is she's, great. She's she's always good, so that's fine. It's just just really weird, and and also, if if your main like this is a true story where a stripper, but uh, got talking to a farmer rep who lied her way into the position and then used her charisma to convince doctors to write the the prescriptions. Right, this is a thing that happened, and 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 this is what this movie is telling. So if your character is a stripper, then when when you have your scene at the beginning showing the character stripping, don't make it look like it's an episode of Quantum Leap 
where Sam has gone into a, a stripper's body. Uh, and all it was missing was a cut to the camera. Oh boy. She, I've never seen someone look less able to pretend she was a stripper than Emily Blunt walking through that place in her underwear. Like it was like she had stumbled onto the wrong set. I actually thought, Oh, part of the story is going to be, she, she's, she's, we know later she talked herself into being a farmer, right? Maybe she talked herself into being like a stripper, but, but really she can't do any of that either. No, it's just yeah. bad. There's just there's no context. No, there's no context at all. She looks, she doesn't do anything. She like walks up to a pole and stands there for a little bit and then walks down and sits by a bar and chats just so she can speak to Chris Evans. Like that's the laziness of this entire movie. It's just so, oh, it's just so bad. They didn't even bother like trying to do like a, like a, and I don't, yeah, you're not wrong. I don't, it's, it's a weird thing to focus on. Cause like <laughs> she's being a stripper, but um, it would be so easy to also just like use a body, use a body double who can dance and have her do one twirl. Like show that she knows right. what she's doing. Right. Like something right. like that. But this film is it's only so interested weird. in, this film is so interested in getting from A to B from plot point A to B to C that like it ignores the stuff that would give a movie any kind of life. And I hate to say it, but that's exactly what so many Netflix movies feel like. It's like, we're going to do an A to B story and everything's going to fall like dominoes and we're not at, we're not concerned at all about creativity or, in, or, or just like a, a script that's interesting or a tone that's challenging or a director that's in, uh, dynamic. So many Netflix movies feel like that now. Just mm-hmm. It's just... And there's so many of them. <laughs> Like this movie came out, I texted you because I, I started watching this in our preview channel. And and then the next day uh, when I wanted to carry on watching, I, it was on release. So I didn't have it in my preview channel. And it's just fucking gone. It's nowhere. It wasn't in new releases. It wasn't in trending. It wasn't in like movies you might be interested in. It wasn't in carry on watching this. So I don't know what the Netflix algorithm is doing or if it's connected to like initial buzz because the the buzz of this movie is not good. But it's just like, I have to, the only way I could find this thing I'd started watching was to go into a search bar. They release so much. I know we've talked about this many times before and, and things just disappear. Like yeah. within days of being released. I mean, I think it's or twofold. I think it's it's twofold problem, right? Because on the one hand, they release so much stuff. And on the other, the aggressive the algorithm is aggressively pushing you towards things that you clearly liked, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a problem that like these things just disappear into the ether. I mean, at least it's not as bad as say something like The Power of the Dog, which won the Academy Award for best director and like is just never anywhere on the netflix homepage, and also has been removed from netflix uk due to licensing issues just get wrap your brain around that it's a netflix original that's not on netflix and they just removed um passing as well which is an excellent film uh they removed it in the uk because apparently they don't have the license for their own material it doesn't make any goddamn sense um it's so stupid it's so stupid but it but it just sort of betrays the idea that all they want is they need content and they need new content, but they don't really yeah. give a shit about quality. I think yeah. I legitimately think that they would fight harder for more of love is blind uh, than they would for quality films or TV shows. Not to say they don't produce those. They definitely make some great films and great TV shows, but I think that they, that is not their, their priority is having stuff, not having 
good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I had a conversation. This is a bit of a tangent, but I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was complaining that Apple TV Plus was going up in price. It's going from like $6 to $10, which to be fair is a pretty big increase. It's like 40%. Um, but what's interesting to me is that, you know, the argument is that they, the Apple TV doesn't have a deep library. They just have the stuff they produce. And they didn't, this person did not think that Apple TV plus is worth it anymore at $10 a month. And my counter is that like Apple TV plus seems concerned. Apple seems concerned with making things that are good. Not everything they've made has been good, but they seem overly concerned with making things that are good. Like Apple's not competing with Netflix. They're competing with HBO. And so on that, on that, I would argue that $10 a month for Apple TV plus is a more worthwhile investment than $18 a month for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Cause they're just making more, they're making more quality stuff. Again, they don't have a hundred percent hit rate. And I think their TV shows are better than their movies very generally, but they at least give a shit about the quality level that they're putting out. And I don't feel like Netflix does. I think when they have something that's great, they celebrate it, but I don't think that they are always, I think they're shooting for on the service, not great. If that, mm. you know? Yeah. Anyway, are you giving, are you, yeah. So are you giving this one uh, one, one star or two? I'm going to give it, know. I'm going to give it two. I'm going to give it two gonna... based on Andy Garcia and Emily Blunt. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I laughed a couple of times. Like there are a couple of decent jokes in there. Yeah. Uh, but they are it. they are few and far between. It's two from me, uh, Andy Garcia. I love Emily Blunt, but Andy Garcia and please remind me whoever the daughter is, she gets a star as well. She yeah. she's she a couple of weeks ago I gave a list of like actresses, young young actresses that I am incredibly interested to watch, and I think I put her on that list, but she should be on that list. Um, uh, so, yeah, she, she's fantastic. She's really fantastic. So two, yeah, two from me, but not. Don't watch it. It's not recommended. Uh, no, I mean, there are people out there who like it, and I'm very happy for them. Uh, are they, but are I, they really? I did not. Yeah, there's. If you look on like on Letterboxd, like it's currently sitting at a two point eight on Letterboxd. There's people who have given it threes, and I see one person in my list that gave it four and a half. And like, I don't get it. Really? I wonder too that like almost all the people who've given it a high rating though have saw it at um, saw it at a festival. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe there's like tiff goggles happening because uh, that's definitely <laughs> festival yeah, goggles yeah. are definitely a thing. Um, so I don't know. Also, I, uh, we didn't like it because it, it doesn't challenge, and maybe some people don't want Netflix to challenge them. Maybe they just want Emily Blunt in underwear and then Chris Evans being smarmy and then there's mild consequences and then it ends happily maybe that's all they want it's interesting too because i can buy chris evans as an asshole but i can't i can't buy him as a sleazeball that's an interesting Mm -hmm. distinction he's just too handsome it's not that he's maybe but i mean there's lots of like there's lots of people who can who are super handsome who can play a slime ball very well i mean Colin Farrell can play a slime ball exceedingly well, and he is very handsome. Oh, he would have been great in this, yeah. Um, I just think he's, I think he's probably just too nice in real life. Like, I don't think he knows how to be a slime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, uh, because he can be an yeah. asshole. Like, he's great in, um, he's great in Sunshine. 
I mean, he's great in Knives Out, and he's an asshole in both of those movies. And, but I, I just cannot buy him as a slime ball. I don't mm-hmm. can't can't quite get there. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah well. well, we're hitting heading up for time here, so let's wrap it up yeah. there. Um, thank you to everyone who's listening so much for doing so. We appreciate each and every one of you. Um, if you have liked what you've heard, uh, of course, the easiest way to support us, the most direct way you can support us is through Patreon, which is patreon.com slash mcsimpson. Um, you can, uh, you'll get notifications about these episodes and also our bonus episodes for every week. Uh, and it's as little as $2 Canadian a month. You can also find us on the socials. Uh, I'm going to link it in the show notes. Um, but the show is on uh, all the major socials, uh, and you can find Simon at TemporaryPen.com and myself at Stretched.ca if you'd like to follow us on the things. There's just too many to list, so we're just going to list those. Um, what else? Um, we are here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish Nations, and... That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on this awesome Friday. Thanks, bye.